What is going on, everyone? Welcome to a new episode of Orange Slices. We are your hosts, Heath Pierce, and my guy, Mark McKenzie. Mark, what's going on, man? Nothing at all, man. Just posted up here as usual in my beautiful apartment that is sounding like a cave per usual. Uh, what's going on over there, man? I got a baby on my lap that keeps teasing <laughs> and making sounds. So if you hear that, you know, we are just a family affair here and uh, and it's all good. And And she's trying to like, I've got her curled over and she's still trying to grab everything, pull the mic down, all that sort of stuff. So hopefully we'll get through we'll get through this. But yeah, this this week's episode, man, it's it's a good one. Uh, our guy Dax McCarty, uh, obviously, you know, you guys have competed, but I've known Dax for a really long time. Was one of my first friends when I came back to Major League Soccer. Played with him in Dallas, but just a fun conversation and just a different perspective of a, of like a a, a, a kind of MLS journeyman, right? Like every all the talk right now is about players going abroad, but pa- Dax has had such a crazy career in major league soccer and earned a good living, right? Like seeing the fruition of his hard work where we've seen in generations past guys, not get that reward for dedicating their, their sort of life to a league and to the growth of a league and and also being a high performer. Yeah. I mean, look, after a two week layout to have a guy like this tap into so many different areas, you know, not only on the pitch, but, but off the pitch as well, the mental aspect, you know, he's, he's a veteran. He's been captains at multiple clubs now, you know, to have traveled, been at several clubs in MLS, had the opportunity to to go abroad, but stay home, uh, experience with the national team, you know, so many different areas of his life, you know, that he opened up about. So, um, and even passed down some wisdom to to your boy, you know. So, uh, so yeah, I appreciate that. You know, great, great conversation. So, uh, yeah, let's let's tap into it. All right, so let's welcome in our newest, latest, greatest guest, two-time Supporter Shield winner, two-times MLS All-Star, 2017 Gold Cup winner, entering his 17th season. I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. 17th <laughs> season, 16th season, yeah. Uh, but it's like your birthday, you know, like you go into your, you're, you're in, uh, you know, you're going into your 17th se- MLS stop, season. Stop trying to age me, bro. Yeah, and uh, captain of Nashville SC, is that uh, Sporting Club? Dax McCarty, what's up, Dax? No, no, no. We're we're American soccer club. No, sports club. You know, you never know if you want to get into another sport. You know, you guys might roll up basketball or handball or badminton, any of those things. I'm I'm a big fan of the sporting club vibes. I like that idea. You might have to talk to our owner, John Ingram. But as of now, we are National Soccer Club, so please respect that. (laughs) Nice. Before we get into it, what is your take on SC versus FC, just to get straight into the controversy? (laughs) You know, like, I actually like SC, you know. I, I, why, why are we the major league? What, well, first of all, why is it major league soccer, soccer.com? That's we'll talk about that another time. Um, <laughs> but, and we won't talk about saying the before MLS cause we, we everybody's going to get triggered, but the FC versus SC are like, I like SC. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that when you really break it down, when you play soccer in the U S it's soccer club. Right. And I know guys like Bob Bradley, you know, he always refers to it as football, football, yeah. Um, but he's a lot more cultured than I am, right? You're, you're yeah. a lot more cultured than I am. And if you're saying that, you know, Mark plays in Europe now, he's a lot more cultured than I am. I've only ever played in the U S and so I'm soccer through and through. I can dabble in, you know, a little bit of fuji ball, footy football when, when I talk to my boys, but when it comes to naming teams, I think soccer club, it has to stay like that. That's fair. Mark, where, where do you stand with that? I mean, football, mate, it's football, mate. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, when you touch down over here, you say soccer. And it's like, oh, there's the American. Uh, right. Yeah, you know, so over here it's, it's football. But, but I mean, coming up in the States, it's, it's always soccer. That's the way it's referred to. Again, you have American football as well. So that's what creates that whole, oh, which is the real football? Oh, you know, it's, I just, just leave it in two different categories. Mark, when you, when you come back and retire in MLS in 15 years after a very highly successful career in Europe, are you going to refer to it as football or are you going to still go back to your roots and call it soccer? I'll probably, oh, that's tough. <laughs> Dude, he's definitely, I'll tell you, he's going to do exactly what we've seen all of them do. They're going to go, they're going to come back using words like Brad Guzan did when he came back from England saying like, I parried it wide and things like that. <laughs> have a little, little bit of an accent. His kids will have accents and stuff. And he'll be like, well, what do you want me to do, mate? What do you want me to do? <laughs> I, Listen, could see, he- I could see him having a little bit of an accent, but still calling oh. it soccer. Yeah, no, listen, look, you always you always pick up little things you, you learn from, from different places, okay? Uh, but again, Heath, we talk about this. The, sen- the sentences I have out here are very simple. It's simple sentences. It's, I am Mark, I play soccer, uh, I am from America. You know, it's simple sentences. So <laughs> that will probably carry with me forward. But uh, but in terms is of it, soccer, I'll still refer to it as soccer. It's not going to change. Is it is it uh, football or football there? What, how is it uh, in, in Flemish, I guess? Yeah, it's football. 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 Yeah. yeah, so more yeah. like Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. uh, so yeah, it's... Look, I, I, of course, you're gonna I take different things, and that's like I've always come up like that. Even in different cities and in, in, in the states, you know, learning different lingo, uh, different phrases, and whatnot. But you always stay true. Always stay true. Loyalty, loyalty over everything, man. Yeah. So, Dax, we we took a two week break on this show because Mark <laughs> is the star of the show. It, there's an immense of amount course. of pressure on him to book the guests of of like a larger stature, right? The ones <laughs> sure. huge social followings. Like it's just it's a lot to put on him. So he took a he took a mental health break, and we're back now. And you know during it's- this time. That it's, we've tough, had this- it's, it's tough that after a two week break and having all these big timers on that you had to be the one to reach out to me <laughs> to, yeah. to have me come on and fill that void there. I, I feel bad for you guys. Well, you know, I've paid a few people out there to be like, hey, listen, Mark's going to reach out, blank him a couple of times. I'll come in. I'll ask you. You'll come in with me. <laughs> this will build my clout back up, you know, because, sure. again, this generational gap, it's 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 tough. And and like, you know, it, I've been humbled a few times where, you know. I, I I hit him up and I'm like, hey, let's do it. And then Mark hits him up and they're like, yeah, I'm down tomorrow. So, but that came with that came with his downsides. He he he's he's had to feel the the pressures and stress of delivering uh, on demand for this podcast. But during this time, the NCAA tournament has been happening, right? And and you obviously saw what was happening with the men's and women's weight racks. Uh, you played ball at North Carolina, uh, obviously, and Mark and I both played in college. What was your reaction, I guess, initially to that to that photo? I wish I could say that I was shocked. Um, but I really wasn't. It wasn't surprising to to see the discrepancy between the men's and women's programs. Uh, I think that this is an issue, an ongoing issue that is not just prevalent in sports today, but in general all over the world. So in any facet of life. So I, I think that sports is a nice medium for, for everyday life. Uh, it's a little bit of a microcosm of what we see. And so when you see these pictures go viral on social media, uh, I would like to say that I'm surprised and shocked, but I'm really not because I, I can just picture, you know, the older people from the NCAA sitting up in their ivory tower thinking, you know, here we go. We're about to rake in tons of money from from the men's tournament and just parlay that into other 
sources. And yet, you know, we'll, we'll give the women a little bit of scraps here and there and make sure we do the bare minimum for them. Uh, but in this day and age, it's not good enough. I mean, it's times are changing. Uh, you know, people are starting to realize that equality is the name of the game. That's what it's all about. That's what the women have been fighting for this whole time. And to see that is, it's really eye-opening. Yeah, this is my thing. Like you would think, with with all the talks and all the controversy that's that's followed sports and the the discrepancy between the men's game and the the women's game, that the NCAA, being the organization it would, would at least put a little more effort. But then again, you can't. You really can't give them the the benefit of the doubt. You know, I think the NCAA is, has made it made it obvious they really don't care. You know, um, and this is just another. Uh, another way of them showing it. So it's weird to me just because even if the NCAA doesn't want there to be equality, which clearly they don't um, (laughs) or don't aren't considering it. You would think just out of the fact that we live in the trigger, happy cancel culture that we're in, that somebody was like, Hey, (laughs) just so you know, people have cameras and these people are all friends. And so just be aware that this is probably going to get captured and shared. What do you think about that? And it's just weird to think that like that didn't happen first. And then that, you know, to, to assume that somebody was so far off base that they were like, Oh, let it like, yeah. I don't know, man. It's crazy. No, nah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Especially now that we're in 2021 and you would think that the NCAA, uh, you know, to go back to something that I think all of us know, well, you would think the NCAA has seen the U S women's national team fight, against us soccer. Uh, it's, it's been in the public. It's been in everybody's eyes to see, and they would think, Hey, this is a chance for us to actually make a stand, you know, and, and we can actually maybe be the, on the forefront of change by making sure that whatever the men get, the women get equally. So it's a little bit alarming. Uh, Dax, let's move on to, uh, the national team, right? So you were in and out of the national team for a large part of your, your career, just like I was. And so what, what advice do you have for Mark, uh, breaking into the squad, staying mentally prepared and all that sort of stuff. Like what, what, like, is there anything off the top of your head of, for somebody his age, you know, kind of breaking into that moment? Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, I mean, I, you know, Mark will tell you the same thing. I, I don't know Mark personally. Um, I don't know him that well. We played against each other a few times when he was in Philly, I was in Chicago. Um, but you know, from, from my initial impressions and everything I hear, he's got a really good head on his shoulders. And so I think you hit on it first Heath was that the mental side of it is probably if not the most important aspect, one of the most important aspects to continue to stay locked in mentally. If you're getting called up every time, if you're getting called up once every couple call-ups, or if you're not getting called in at all, making sure that you're not letting that affect you mentally. Uh, that's so important. That's so key because as, as I experienced, um, you know, my call-ups were extremely sporadic. You know, I, I would get called up. I got called up under Bob Bradley a few times. He gave me a chance. I thought I was right about to break into the national team. And then he got fired and Jurgen Klinsmann got hired. And I only got called in once under Jurgen, right? And so um, when he left, I got called in a bunch under Bruce Arena. And so I, I think that just staying mentally focused, making sure that you're focusing on your club team, playing week in and week out, good football, good soccer, um, you know, that's the key because then the national team stuff, that's, that's all the extras that come, come along with playing well with your club. And the other part of it, I think Heath, I mean, you'll, you'll probably echo this. That's it's such an underrated part of a player's career. It's such an underrated skill that I don't think is talked about enough is just the ability to stay healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're injured all the time and you're in and out of your club team, 
um, it's really difficult to get a rhythm and it's really difficult to get games. And I think that's what national team coaches want to see first and foremost, is that you're playing week in week out for your club team, regardless of role, regardless of, of position that you're playing. If, as long as you're playing 90 minutes week in and week out, I think your national team coach can see that, make sure that you're staying sharp. And then it, Greg Beerhalter seems like the type of coach who knows exactly what he wants out of every single position. So if you fit that, that profile of what he's looking for, as long as you're fit and healthy, you're going to get called up. I like yeah, that. I appreciate, well, first and foremost, I appreciate that. You know, uh, I think the, the mental aspect is, especially as a young player, is something that slept on a lot because it's like, Oh shoot, you know, uh, I feel like I should be called in. Uh, why didn't I get called in? And then you start going through that process of, uh, what did I do wrong? And, you know, am I good enough still? And this, that, and the other. But but staying, again, like you said, mentally mentally locked in, I think is is something that's huge. And and I've gone through it. I went through a spell in Philly even where I was, I think I was out of the, the, the first team for a couple months, you know, when I was only getting minutes with the, the second or the USL team uh, at the time. And, yeah, I was I was frustrated. You know, I was pissed off. I think I went through like two games where I just wasn't playing like myself because I wasn't mentally there. You know, and sure. it took me. It took me. I think going through that period of of frustration to 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 mature. You know, and to understand that this is what it's going to take in order for you to, to continue to grow in the game. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that, and uh, yeah, we can carry that going forward. Dex, for your for your age, what you know, we t- we talk about this a lot of sort of what this new American dream is, right? With access to games, access to everything. Like you can you can now be a young player in Atlanta who dreams of being Joseph Martinez, who also dreams of being Tyler Adams or or Weston McKinney or 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 Mark McKenzie, but ultimately still dreams of playing for a big club. Like I I never I never had a dream of playing for a big club as a kid because I didn't know anything about big clubs. I didn't know anything about what it was like to play there. I didn't have access to him. I only dreamed of playing for the national team. Did you have a, a similar goal? Like, what, what, did you, was there a club that you wanted to play for? Or was it mostly like, you know, mine was like Olympics and national team. Yeah, man. I, I, I definitely can echo that sentiment with that first and foremost thought in my head was I want to play in the world cup. I want to be a world cup champion. I want to represent my country and, and I want to be the best player in the world. And how you kind of achieve that when we were younger and growing up was, well, you have the World Cup and you have, you know, the the World Cup is an opportunity for you to play against the best players in the world every four years. Because we really didn't have that much access to be able to watch overseas soccer the way we do now. Uh, but I also, I guess, midway through my childhood growing up, I, I, I discovered Manchester United and I discovered uh, one of my favorite players that I ever had watching, Paul Scholes. And so I became a Man U fan pretty quickly and I thought, all right. When I grow up, I'm going to play for Man United and I'm going to lead the U.S. to World Cup glory. So I'm only 33. I still think I have time to be able to possibly attempt to do that. You know, Man United, I think if they sell Pogba, they might have enough money to buy me from Nashville. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. You never know where you never know where you're uh, you're going to end up in your career. So I still hold out hope for all those things. See, Mark, this is where we chop that. We put it into a photo. We put it on Instagram without any context. It's just, it's just you put the quotation marks. You make his quote. You put it on there, and you just let it ride, you know. And you let the you let the internet do its thing, you know. Hey, man, Mark, bro, one, one tweet, and that's that's it, man. This is this is where I do myself no favors, Mark. You gotta just when you hop on someone else's podcast, man, just be super boring, man. Say the least amount possible. Dax, for you, right? How do you, how, okay, you, you've obviously painted this picture of what your dreams were, right? Like, I'm not going to be trying to get between you and that dream because you're 33, you still got time. But part of me thinks you're going to fall a little short of the ultimate dream. And to make it a little bit serious for a second, 
how do you define success if this is the ultimate goal? So if people, oh, shit, you you know, you play at MLS. You didn't go play at a big club. You didn't play at Man United. You didn't like. How do you accept success where the ultimate goal was something that was out of your reach? For me, it was the World Cup. For me, it was the Olympics. You know, these things that I didn't quite get to, but I got close and I did a lot of great things. And I still look at my career as something successful. Like, how do you define that for you or for people that are listening? How do you sort of set those goals and then have you know, kind of these things along the way that that validate all of that, even if you don't make it uh, ultimately to the big goal. Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, it's it's one that I think about a lot. Actually, as you you get a little bit later on in your career, you get a little bit older. Uh, I think you have a, you have a little bit more nuance in the way that you look at uh, actually how difficult it really is to play a professional sport. And so, you know, when you're young, you have the world at your feet. The world is your oyster, if you will, and and you think that you're going to play forever, and you think that you're going to continue to improve and you're going to continue to get better and everything's going to fall your way. You're going to get lucky and you're going to win tons of trophies uh, and you're going to be able to, to play on the biggest stage. But the reality is that that's only, you know, if, if, uh, if the chances of being a professional athlete are less than 1% out of the whole population of the world, then I think playing at the highest level champions leagues, uh, playing in world cups, playing on the international level for over a hundred caps. I think that's less than, 0.001% of, of people that, that play the sport. So uh, y- you always have to look at it with context. And in the context of myself, I look at it like, you know, um, I'm five foot nothing. I have very minimal athleticism. I was told by numerous coaches that, uh, you know, college soccer was probably going to be my ceiling, that I would never play for the, the under 17 national team. I would never play for the under 20 national team. Um, you know, you're kind of told that because of your physical limitations that you're never going to accomplish anything in your career. And then to be able to look back 16 years later um, and say that I proved numerous coaches wrong. Uh, I was able to play at the highest level of soccer in America for 16 years. Uh, I take a lot more pride in longevity than I do necessarily individual accolades. And I think that that, that just your, your goals and your dreams and your aspirations, <laughs> they fluctuate over time. Uh, and you don't have to prove to anything to anyone, but yourself and maybe your family, you know, and and that's the way I choose to look at it. Um, you know, if, if I was able to get to a world cup, uh, obviously that would have been a feather in the cap, but it wasn't meant to be. And, and I don't look at that as a failure. I look at that as having big dreams. And sometimes with big dreams, you don't accomplish all of them, but you can accomplish some of them. Drops Mike drops Drops Mike. Mike. Boom. Boom. You know, I used to get so anxious, Mark, when when I was in Europe and I didn't play, right? Because my goal, again, was World Cup. Mm-hmm. It was always World Cup. And every game I didn't play, if I was on the bench in the Bundesliga, I would be like, oh, man, that means one bench here. That means the next week, if we win, I'm going to be on the bench the next week. And I would, like, play out years. Like, I would play out years at a, in a night sitting by myself in my apartment. I would play out years of how this would affect everything, right? And I would be anxious. It would affect my moods. And, like one of my biggest regrets was, was not having that ability to sort of just take perspective of things, right. Take, take, take account of things and, and, and let things go and like, let stuff go that I couldn't control. Right. You're, you're going through it now. Right. And all you want to be like is I just want to play. I know I'm good enough. I'm the best player. I'm the best defender on my team. And Dax as well, having to prove himself over and over again within the league is, you know, for, do you feel like that at all, Mark? Uh, Like, and Dax, have you, have you felt like that at all where you just kind of are, 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 are anxious or like you look back at moments and you go, Oh, that was, that was, that was a turning point that, you know, if only this, I could have done that type of thing. Or are you, are you at peace or, or, you know, either of you? Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, I think 
I think I had a moment like that when I was at the U20 World Cup, or right before the U20 World Cup, and I had had uh, the emergency appendectomy, and I was on the edge of not going to the World Cup and being with the team, you know, and I was like, oh, man, this is like my, my shot, you know, and then I finally get to a point right before the tournament starts, you know, where I'm feeling somewhat fit, but I haven't played a, a full match in a while, and then get to the tournament and I barely play. You know, I play one game, you know, I play one full match at right back. I play a few minutes here, a few minutes there. And I come out of that World Cup and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, did I like my opportunity? This was this was it right here to go to Europe. And, and this is my ticket. And I was I think I went through. I think that's why after I came back from that World Cup and I went through that two months of, of, of not playing, I was just mentally in a difficult spot because then I was out of the team in Philly and I was yeah, going through it, you know, so so I think that and now to the, I mean to this day I had that happen a few weeks ago where it was I was sitting in my room and I'm like I haven't played in a few weeks like I don't know you know we're, we're back to winning you know we went through a tough stretch in January now we're winning matches again okay if, well if I'm not playing then that means no national team if that means no national team then that means no next step after this that means no gold cup no world cup no and I just found myself going through this whole life career you know uh I don't even know what to call it. It was like, it was like all came down on me at one time, but yeah, I, I had to work my way out of it, you know, play some call of duty and, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I went for a walk. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's fair to say that every athlete experiences the anxiety of failure and, and what that looks like. And that looks different for every athlete, no matter what sport you play. Uh, you're always going to have butterflies. You're always going to have nerves before big moments. Right. And I think what separates the best athletes from, from the guys that, that kind of fall short in their careers is the ability to compartmentalize certain aspects of your career. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, if you have a big failure, right, like the U S U S soccer, we failed to qualify for the 2018 world cup. I felt partially responsible for that because I was there on that night. And even though I didn't play, I felt like, could I have done more in training to help these guys prepare that, that stepped on the field? You know, could I have been more vocal in my opinion of, you know, maybe Bruce rotating the team a little bit more because Bruce was, was a guy who always wanted player opinions. Right. But I was kind of like what Heath said, I, I knew my role in that team and I kind of was just content to sit back and, you know, be that super sub, be that, that guy who could close games out, start a game every now and then, because I wanted my plane ticket to the world cup and I had full confidence that we would get there. So I think you always have to look back on that and you have to compartmentalize where you could have done things differently, but then also how do you move on from that? Right. And I think how you move on from disappointments and failures and being nervous and having anxiety about where your career is going to go is you just have to focus on the next day, focus on the next training session. What do you want to accomplish out of the next day? Do you want to lift weights? Do you want to get stronger? Uh, do you want to feel healthier? Do you want to get fit? Do you want to just win the day in training? Right. And then you just start slowly building from there. Right. It's it's almost cliche to say, but it's almost like you're rebuilding up your house again, brick by brick. Right. Just lay each brick each day. That's the foundation from which you try to do everything. And like Heath said, it's it's really difficult to to try to move on from certain goals and dreams that you have. Um, but, you know, when we did fail to qualify for that World Cup, part of me knew that that was most likely going to be my last opportunity to play with the national team. And that's very difficult to accept. But it's also something that you can't look back on and say, well, 
my whole career is a failure because, you know, I didn't make it to a world cup or I won't play for the national team anymore. You just have to move on and say, all right, I have a new focus. I have a new goal. That's my club team. That's winning MLS cup. That's winning the U S open cup, whatever that may be. And for you, you know, you're on a very good team in Belgium. You guys are going to compete for every domestic trophy that you can and participate in champions league and Europa league. You know, it looks different for you than it would for me or for Heath during his career. And so I, I think every player experiences that nervousness, that anxiousness, um, that anxiety to want to have success all the time. But I think the best athletes are the ones that can move on from failure the quickest. This guy is a true, like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that fair? Is that, is that fair yeah, to say? Yeah. That's good. I, I like that. Listen, Mark, this is the whole, this is the whole idea, right? We, we, we saw you hurting over there. You know, we saw you hurting. It's, we saw you going through it and we were like, who better than to bring on Dax? Who's just going to spit some wisdom for this kid, you know, <laughs> let him kick back. You know what I mean? You like, just really take it all in and, and, uh, you know, try to, try to give some, some wisdom of going through it. Mark, you know what listen, I mean? like, listen, man, I, I had a, I had a Heath knows, you know, when we were in Dallas together, Heath bought a nice house. He had a nice pool. You know, we had, we had a light, we had a, we had a lot of come to Jesus moments at that pool, you know, laying out by the pool, you know, maybe drinking a few beers. Uh, I learned from the master himself. <laughs> uh, this is the most credit he's gotten in a while. So I know, yeah. he, I know he's, he's feeling good about this one, but well, listen, this also goes to finances, Mark, you know, we wanted to, <laughs> we know you went to Europe, you secured the bag. I don't want you spending that on therapy right now. I want you to have that. You got therapy right at your fingertips. You know, you got mentors right here uh, with Dax. Dax said you could text him, call him anytime, especially anytime, late at night. bro. Especially anytime. late at night. You know, when you get up in the morning, he just shut his head down for the night. Like, just give him a buzz if you need it, you know? But um, Dax, you know, to make to, to turn it, maybe it's not lighter, but like, do you have any CONCACAF stories, right? Whether with, whether with the Red Bulls, whether with the national team of like out of body experiences you know, we, we, we use examples of like getting things thrown at you, bags of pee thrown at you, any sort of scary moments, you know, um, that you have or, or exciting moments or crazy moments that, you know, again, for people who, who don't have the context of CONCACAF and how hard it is to qualify and all the things that you go through, is there anything that comes to mind, uh, that that's, that's a story worth telling? So it's difficult for me because I, I, I basically was a part of the, the national team qualifying campaign all throughout two, 2017 with, with Bruce. Uh, and I went to almost every World Cup qualifier, but I never played. I only played in one World Cup qualifier. And funny enough, it happened to be uh, one of the best moments of my life and my career. It was a World Cup qualifier. We played in Orlando in front of my friends and family. Uh, against Panama, where we had a great performance. I think we won the game 4-0. It was my only World Cup qualifying cap. I subbed into the game in the second half in like the 55th or 60th minute for Christian Pulisic, right? The new the new great American hope. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a good game. I played well. And then obviously four days later, everyone knows what happened. But uh, I was never on the field in those really brutal qualifiers down in San Pedro Sula, down in Panama. Okay, okay, take uh, it off the field then. Just l l make it not about the game. Make it about just the experience of walking into the stadiums, the locker rooms, right. the noise, uh, noise outside your stadium, like any of those sort of things of of any sort of that that sort of travel that 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 you can speak to. Is yes, there anything I, that comes I, to mind? I, I had a, a very interesting experience uh, at Azteca in Mexico uh, when we were going for a World Cup qualifier playing against Mexico, huge game. Um, I actually had my family uh, come down there with me. Uh, my wife, Jen, came down along with uh, my one of my best friends from home, and they were all going trying to find their seats at Azteca, 
And I think they somehow took a wrong turn and they were about to walk into like the hardcore, like Mexican fan section. And luckily they had someone on their side that basically just said, Hey, I don't think you guys are in the right place and you should probably sneak out of here as quickly and slowly as possible because bad things can happen if they know that you're American fans. And so it wasn't necessarily directed at me, but it's almost like a two degrees of separation when your wife and your, your friends are involved. And it was one of those moments that's surreal that means, hey, you're actually in World Cup qualifying. You are quite literally in the shit right now, which is exactly what qualifying out of CONCACAF is. When you go to these places, when you go to these stadiums, some of these were built 80, 90, 100 years ago, and the grass is legitimately four inches long, almost coming up to your knees, as Heath knows. Uh, and it's, it's a dogfight, man. It's a real, it's a real grind to try to qualify out of CONCACAF. And no matter what anyone says, however great, uh, us soccer becomes all those games on the road in CONCACAF are always going to be difficult. It won't matter who's on the field for us. Yeah. Okay. Dax, did, did you feel as you went through the 18 campaign, was there anything that, that felt off or felt like this is a little bit like dog eat dog to the point where it doesn't feel like, uh, earlier, earlier groups or national teams? Yeah, there was there was a little bit of that for sure. And I, I think as players, it's difficult because you inherently are competitive and you always want to play. So like every player that gets called into the national team knows that they're a good player. You know, it's not like you're a, a role player for your club team and you're getting called up to the national team. You're you're usually a stud, right? You're usually trying to have a career that's that's bigger than just club soccer if you go into national team camp. So there's always this alpha kind of this alpha dog mentality of everyone that goes in there that thinks, all right, I'm good enough to play and I should be playing every game. Um, but in the national team, it's difficult to have that because you're not together all the time, right? You're, you're playing in these big competitions. You don't have as much time to prepare. And so you need uh, the right balance of players. And I've heard this said a few times, and, and I agree with this wholeheartedly. The national team for me is not the collection of the best and most talented players. The national team is a collection, a subjective collection of the players that the coach sees fit to accomplish the goals at hand. So it doesn't necessarily mean the most talented players. It means players that are going to know their roles. Players are going to come in. They're going to fight. They're going to try to be a family as much as they possibly can for the time that they are together. And so that's where I think it's unique in the fact that it's on the coach to try to build this and bring guys together, even if it means leaving out the most talented players. And I think in 2017, when we were going through our qualifying campaign, you had a few people who felt they were entitled to play every single game. And when they didn't play, there was a little bit of an issue, right? And that kind of manifested and, and festered throughout the group a little bit in little small ways that you don't really see on the surface. But when it bubbles underneath, you don't get the best atmosphere. And so uh, I don't think that's the reason why we didn't qualify, but but I do think that that, that little bit of uh, let's call it arrogance ha had a little bit to do with why we didn't get some of the results that we needed to get in the national team. I think when you, when you look at the national team, it's always these, these milestones that you try to hit. Right. And on any given day, you know, somebody can go down, you know, and it's the next man up mentality, but it's also a matter of a brotherhood. And I give, I give Greg a lot of credit for that because ever since he's come in, he's always preached about each guy who steps in, no matter who it is, you know, it's part of a brotherhood now. So when we come into these camps, yeah, we're going to work and we're going to fight. But at the same time, we also want to create a connection between each other, our bond, you know, so that way whoever is has to step in, you know, uh, is is ready and feels supported by by the staff. 
by the the players, you know, by the higher ups of your side, you know. So so now you have that that uh, that faith and that trust of the guys around you to go on and, and, and handle the business on the pitch. So yeah, you, you said it best, man. Well said, bro. Well said. Real quick before we go on to to uh, your MLS career, Dax, that Azteca game. One thing that I remember from that game is I believe it was raining um, at the end of it. If I'm not mistaken, they were blocking off all of these exits around the stadium. Yep. And so outside the stadium, we were filming two different two different films. We were we had in two different parts of the stadium. And I remember catching up with our team. Everything was super celebratory and happy and fun. And everybody day before the game at Aztec was great. But when, when that game ended, the police were like uh, barricading certain exits and forcing people down these things. And I had never, ever been that scared in my life as I was then, because I couldn't get out. Like you couldn't get past people. People clearly recognized who was who, yep. and and everyone was looking for a fight, like a legitimate fight, like pound, like pin you to the ground and beat you. And I remember thinking, like, this is a really scary. I'm very, very. I was actually like kind of almost like fight or flight mode had activated, and that was my first time going to Azteca. I went there as a fan, got to be with the like the U.S. supporters, and it was an amazing experience. But I remember after that being like, I'm I'm lost from my group. I'm away from everyone. We're supposed to meet in this place. Like everything is really, really scary. It ended up all being fine, but it was more when people were leaving the stadium. There was that instant anger of like the US has come here and done something. Right. Was, yeah. Was, no, it wasn't a good result for Mexico. It was, it was one one. Uh Michael Bradley scored that chipped banger. Do you remember? Yeah. Like oh, early yeah. on oh, yeah. in the game. Yeah, he, I was oh, behind oh, that goal yeah. there when that happened. Yeah. Sick, sick finish. And then Carlos Vela ended up tying the game up. And then you know, we obviously being at Azteca in Mexico were completely content and fine with a point, uh, which would have been very good for us. We we won the game before uh, in Salt Lake or in Denver, I believe, against Trinidad. And so we, we went out of that round with four points. I think Mexico was pissed because they didn't win. Um, and you know how their fans are, man. You know, they get all liquored up. They, they think they should be beating the, the U.S. all the time at Azteca. And when they don't... Uh, it, it, it gets a little seedy there when you're trying to exit and and they see you wearing anything U.S. related. And so Jen definitely had a, a quick moment, my wife, where she was like, uh, this is a little scary here getting out of here. But like you said, nothing ended up happening. And it turns out to be a pretty good story for uh, for the kids. Did you have anything thrown at you at on the bus or or the bus rocked or anything like that? I had a few of those experiences where like it feels like someone's trying to flip the bo- bus over or throw yeah. rocks from a distance. Did that happen in that Lo- game or any of the other ones? Luckily, like you said, it was raining. And so there weren't as many people just like lined up where the, the buses exit as usual. But we had a few of the, you know, we had a few of the hands that had slapped the bus when we were leaving. But luckily, we had nothing thrown at us. Uh, I, I haven't had the pleasure of getting a bag of pee thrown at me while down in CONCACAF. And so I'm, I'm pretty disappointed that didn't happen. <laughs> This is a We've crazy all- thing, though. This is a crazy thing. Heath always talks about how fast he is, right? So he talks about always. Like he, oh, he, he always ask, ask, ask Dax. Ask Dax. He might know more than anyone uh, who who's the <laughs> fastest. Who's one of the fastest people he's ever met? I will say no such thing. Mark, continue. <laughs> Heath, when you are in that situation, what are you ready? Are you like? Do, do you have the jets ready, or is it just like a thing you only turn on the pitch? Oh no, no. Listen, on that Azteca Stadium, there's like. There's like ramps that go up and down all the way around and you don't know where you are. There's nowhere to really run on the field. I remember running after the Guatemala. It was my first ever qualifier. Guatemala. I think we we drew or we won in the, in the first round and I sprinted. I sprinted to the locker room. Everybody sprinted. It, you could see 
there was some, you, you could feel an energy shifting that was like, there might be people entering the pitch uh, soon <laughs> and we should probably get out of here. And you shook a few hands and then we bolted and they had to have the umbrellas over your heads going from the locker room to the bus because of just the things that were flying. And I remember that, but as a fan, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different because you do feel a little safer as a player than you do as a fan, as an away fan. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 they corral you like cattle into one side and it's police escorts, probably like two police for every one person. Uh, a way fan that's has to go through a certain section away from everyone, stay away from everything. But we were there filming, right? So we weren't isolated from anybody. We were we were engaging and interacting, and everything was super positive, and everyone was was excited. But like that 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 switch happens, and then it goes from being like, "Hey, we're all friends," to being like, "You're now a target for an angry fan." And right, I could well, outrun them easily. Anyways, enough about me, Dax. Did you did you have you entertained any? Uh, moves abroad or, or have you had an opportunity to move abroad? Um, has there ever been an interest personally to, to go abroad? Yeah. When I was younger, there was, there was definitely interest, uh, from myself to go abroad. And, uh, there was, I think I, at best, you know, fleeting interest from clubs. Um, you know, when you're young and when you're breaking into the national team, you know, you always hear rumors here and there. And, uh, my agent at the time had told me that there were a few Scandinavian clubs that were monitoring me. There was a team in France that really liked, me, I, I played in the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament as our as our U23s are doing right now. Um, and I had a really good tournament. Uh, we ended up qualifying for the Olympics, obviously, back in, in 2008. And I was a big part of that. And so there was a team in France that was really liked how I played. And then a team in, I think, Denmark. Um, and so you hear about this interest. And I was coming out of contract after my first MLS deal. And kind of what was put on the table was essentially, hey, uh, we really like you. Um, you know, we want you to come over here and train with us, uh, but we're not going to give you a contract right away. We want to see how you do in training. And I had a contract offer from MLS. And at the time, my agent was like, well, this is what MLS has told me. If you go and and take this training stint, this opportunity, this trial, whatever you want to call it, if you do great, awesome. You sign a contract, maybe your European dream can start. If not, if you get injured, if you don't do well, if you come back to MLS, then the contract offers off the table and you have to take league minimum. So choose wisely. And I was like 21 years old. I was really unsure what to do. My agent at the time told me that he thought it was best if I signed the deal in MLS and then continued to play well, I would be able to have other opportunities to go overseas. Uh, And it actually just never panned out that way. Um, I ended up staying in MLS my whole career and I have no regrets about it because um, I'm really proud of the career that I've had, but I always do uh, think back to to that opportunity and that moment and think, well, what if I would have taken that chance to go overseas? I wonder how it would have turned out. But, you know, hindsight's always 2020. It's always easy to look at the fork in the road and, and think that you could have done something differently. But uh, looking back on it now, I think I made the right decision. Yeah, I mean, I would say you had a, you, you have a, a, a pretty, pretty deep, and stellar career, you know, and again, you're in your 16th season now. Yeah. You know, I appreciate it, man. You know, yeah. the correction, you know, from Heath earlier, but yeah, you, you've been captain of three of your, your, your most recent clubs, you know, and, and for me coming up, you hear about Dax McCarty and you hear Mr. You know, he's the reliable guy. You can always depend <laughs> on. He's your leader. He's, he's the, the stalwart, you know, holding it down. He's that glue, you know? That's so, what they say about non-athletes though. That's just that the, tag, the, tag, that's the tag they use. <laughs> that's what they, listen, that's what they say about great locker room guys. Yeah. <laughs> listen, man, you need that though. You need that. Right. And, and again, it's, it's a credit because you, you've won the supporter shield twice. 
Yep. You know, and and that's just a credit to the guy you are, but the teammate you are, and the you know, uh, you know what type of what, what type of leader would you say you are though? You know, because because yeah. uh, again, you've been in different locker rooms. Have you had to adjust that that style of leadership? You know, uh, with, with dealing with different personalities, or have you you know kept pretty consistent uh, consistent like values and characteristics? You know, as a leader. Yeah, for sure. It's a great question. First of all, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, I I really appreciate it. Um, I, I think that it's funny because, uh, as a player, you, you always kind of have to figure out where you're, where you fit in, what your role is in any team that you're in. And I think the reason why I've been able to have so much longevity is because I told myself a long time ago that I'm not the type of player that is ever going to be a superstar. And I'm not the type of player that a team should ever be built around, but I want to be the guy that tries to hold it all together. And, uh, I have no shame in saying that. I think that there's a role like that for, for every team. Um, and, and I'm proud of that. Uh, as far as my leadership style goes, you know, I, I try to have a little bit of balance, man. I mean, it's probably a better question to ask some of my teammates um, that I've had the last couple of years. You know, it's hard to, to talk about myself in that way. Um, the only guy who, who likes talking about themselves more is Heath. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll try my best, but I, I like to have balance. I like to be a guy that's vocal in the right moments when I think the team needs to kick up the ass, I'll say something, but I also try to be the guy that puts my arm around someone's shoulder if they have a bad game or if they're, they don't respond to criticism maybe as well as another guy. Um, I think that it's all about balance. And, and then the other aspect of it, and I've said this a few times about trying to be a captain and trying to be a leader is. Uh, one thing is I don't think you need to have an armband to be a leader. And the second part of it is, um, you know, I try to lead by example. And so when I, when I got traded from the New York Red Bulls to Chicago fire, uh, you know, Chicago was trying to do something different. They were trying to build up that program again. And my first thought when I got traded there was that, you know, I don't want to be captain. I just want to go in. I want to keep my head down and I want to earn the respect of my teammates and my coaches first and foremost. And that's exactly what I've tried to do in Nashville too. And then once you earn that respect from the other guys in your locker room, then I think your leadership can flourish. And I think your leadership can kind of start to spread its wings and expand a little bit into a more vocal role. And so that's kind of the the way that I've always tried to lead. And, and that's, you know, I've learned from good leaders that I've had before me. Um, and I try to take little bits and pieces from all those guys and incorporate that into what I try to do. Yeah, obviously, Mark, I think you're a natural uh, leader. You know, anecdotally, when I got to the Red Bulls, Daxon, would love to get your 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 take. I remember getting called in by Hans Baca to tell me about how when Thierry, when he took the job, he talked to, you know, uh, Pep Guardiola. He talked to Arsene Wenger about about uh, Thierry. And, you know, they all shared on this like sentiment of like how hard he is to control. And I remember Hans Baca being like, do you think that you can help? And, and I remember thinking like, this is an outrageous request to think that like, I can help you try to rein in Thierry. And even Tim Cahill said, we used to like, I remember Dex, if you remember this, when he'd be like, Oh, I got Thierry in my back pocket. Don't worry. Like, yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. I got him wearing it. Oh, yeah. Like, no, you don't. Was there any, ever a time where you, you were, you were called upon to have to like, try to rally the egos of the New York Red Bulls and be like the, the, the leader uh, in that group like, uh, unrealistically? Never, never really in that context, never really as blunt as Hans put it to you, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, I, I think because I was actually a, a lot younger at the time, I think that it was actually a, a unique kind of mutual respect thing. And I think you had this with Thierry as well, 
But I, I think that Thierry only really accepted criticism and he only really accepted people telling him that like maybe he needed to do something differently if you had Thierry's respect as a player. And, you know, I, I don't mean I, I don't want that to sound like Thierry doesn't respect people. But ultimately, I think that Thierry respects first and foremost, you know, who you are off the field, but also your your soccer ability, what you bring to the team and how good of a player you are, because he obviously was used to playing at the highest levels possible coming to MLS. You know exactly what you get in MLS sometimes, you know, when you're coming out of college or whatever, Thierry. I think he wanted to see that, you know, you had the ability to to contribute to the team, to make him better, to make the team better. And if you had that ability and he respected the way you played, then you could say something to him. You could approach him and he wouldn't tell you to F off is basically what it came down to. And so I always took it upon myself when uh, I saw him being visibly frustrated on the field uh, to try to talk to him at halftime. And maybe it wasn't even like a, hey, you know, don't be so frustrated. You know, we're relying on you. It was like, Hey, how can I be better? How can I get you involved in the game? Uh, is there a player you're frustrated with? I'll go talk to them. You know, I'll tell them to change and do something differently. Um, and so I, I remember, you know, very specifically Heath, I don't know if you remember this, but like Thierry would get really frustrated with the guy, Eric Alexander. Mm-hmm. And Eric Alexander is one of the most underrated players in MLS history. In my opinion, a guy that always was a very vital part of every team I was on with him, but never got any credit and just a really good footballer. But the problem was Thierry always wanted him to be more. And he always wanted him. His big thing with Eric was like, Eric, when you get the ball, I don't want you to play backwards. I don't want you to play simple. I think you have the quality to turn and play forward and find my feet, but you never do. And so Thierry's messaging to him, you know, was always yelling at him. And I don't think mm-hmm. Eric responded in the best ways to that. And so I would go to Eric and I would try to be that in-between and that go-between to say, hey, he only does that because he really rates you as a player and he thinks that you're you're capable of doing that. And so those are little nuanced stories of, of how I think uh, when you have such a great player and, and a guy like Thierry who is a great leader in his own right, uh, but maybe didn't do it in always the best ways of how you can try to corral that energy that he has to try to help your teammates get better. Yeah. Who, who, uh, yeah. I mean, Thierry Henry is like, for me, he's, he's, he's the guy, you know, he's the guy who made me a striker, you know? So. Okay. So okay. To, again, I'm not a striker. Yeah. I'll tell you. himself as a striker, huh? He fancied himself as a winger. Uh, Thierry made him a striker. The coach made him a defender, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mark, yeah. Mark, when we have more time, you'll have to have Heath tell you a story about the one game he played at Red Bull at D mid. <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah. awesome. Yeah, I listen. I, I I'll tell you that another time. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. And then, and then that time I'll tell you about what the what uh, Franco Paniso said to me. Uh, and, and no, said on MLS Soccer after the game uh, when I had to fill in for Dax in in Chicago at the six. Oh, it was good times, man. Good times. No, I just think I, for me, I thought I've always found it like interesting that dynamic of of managing a, a personality like that. You know, he comes in with the resume that he has. And it's like, how do you how do you talk to this guy? How do you communicate? How does he communicate with the other guys? And and to hear that, I mean, there's there's different ways of going about it. But to be, I think sometimes people look at the middleman. It's like, oh, he doesn't really like. What is he doing? You know, right? Are you does he does he know his role in the team, or is he just trying to you know uh, suck up to the big guy in the locker room? Or but there's there's real uh, benefits that come out of that 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 role and understanding that that can sometimes push your team over that 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 step that um, the obstacle you know that hump 
Um, so, no so to hear it. that, you know, to to hear about that is is, is interesting for me because yeah. I know I, I heard some stories about Zlatan and, and they did not go the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, uh, Mark, uh, pick one of these uh, Reddit questions that we got, Dax. We did a Reddit, uh, an AMA on Reddit recently, and we got a few questions we couldn't get to, so we're gonna we're gonna have Mark pick one and and, and ask you, and then all right, cool. close, close them out, Mark. All right, boom. All right, so uh, let's see what we got. What for you? I mean, you always look like you're you're going, you know, at 100, percent but 100 percent for Dax looks like it's like 80, percent you know, 70 percent mm-hmm. no, um, underwater, like a little bit underwater, right? Like, yeah. little, <laughs> all, hey, Mark, a little bit of advice, bro. All the best players they can slow the game down to a pace that they yeah. want to play it at. You know, yeah, I'm serious, like, man. Right. He just like he's, he takes the tempo down. I'm like, ah, how does this guy do that? But <laughs> but for you, but for you, I mean, like playing against Rebel was like one of the that's one of the harder games we always had for sure. Rebel is freaking you guys know i mean you play forever but what was the single hardest game you think you've ever played in oh man Whew. that's a that's a good one um let's see uh i think in mls i i will heath can attest to this one I, i'll go back to the 2010 mls cup final and for reasons that probably had absolutely nothing to do with soccer but it was one of the coldest games that i've ever played in it was like in toronto uh oh sideways sideways wind freezing rain just crazy conditions right and and we were playing against a team in colorado that they just did nothing great but they did everything pretty good and they just frustrated the hell out of us the entire game they were super compact super organized and if you go back and watch highlights of that game you're not going to see a whole lot of pretty soccer Uh, but what you will see is the two goals that they scored were like the crappiest grittiest goals that I think have ever been scored in a final. Right. And it's just like the type of game that was just a dogfight and one that you thought we, we thought we would win. We were super confident. And when we didn't, it was heartbreaking. And then I want to choose one more game that no one's going to know about. But when I was on the under 17 national team, we played a tournament in France and it wasn't the Toulon tournament. It was a different tournament, but we played against the under 17 French national team. And they beat us 2-0, and it should have been 5 or 6, but we got lucky. Their front three was uh, three really small players named Kareem Benzema, mm-hmm. Hatem Benarfa, and Samir Nasri was, was, their, was their front three. And all of them were born in 1987, like myself. And Freddie Adu was on our team, and Freddie was the talk of the town at this time, obviously. You know, he mm-hmm. was the big ticket. Everyone was like, Freddie is the next big thing. All three of these guys were insane. Benzema, Nasri, all of them. But Ben Arfa was actually the one that I was like blown away by. This guy was filthy. And they were all three on the field together. And the game should have been 5-6-0. I don't think I touched the ball more than 10 times in the entire game. And that was probably the hardest game I ever played in. That's, That's it? Wild. Just those, those guys? Just, just those three. Yeah, just yeah. those three. They weren't even grownups yet. Like, how could they be that good? They were children. You know, honestly, didn't even hit puberty yet, if I look like I'm playing at 70, 80 percent in MLS, they made me look like I was playing at about 20 percent when I was playing against them. <laughs> I once took a picture on Wall Street with Benzema when he was walking by. I asked him for a photo just because I didn't know what else to do. Like I needed the photo. <laughs> I need I needed the photo. I needed the photo proof that he was there because like, why was he down on Wall Street? Uh, and, and so I, 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 he took a photo with me and didn't smile, but I smiled and it's a really funny photo. But otherwise, uh, people would Mark, be like he wasn't down there. And Wall Street is code for PhD Dream Downtown Rooftop 
<laughs> no, no, it was literally on Wall Street outside in the public next to the stock exchange. I was like, oh, big fan of the stock market, huh? Like, how's your Bitcoin doing? Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah. Well, how, how are you? Like, are you pretty diversified, would you say, uh, Kareem? Uh, What's portfolio look like? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All, right, All right, Mark, but, close them out. Close them uh, out with these yeah. uh, closing questions. Let's wrap it up. All right. We got some uh, some rapid fire questions. So, so Dax, you ready? Yep. All right. Favorite player of all time? Paul Scholes. Favorite U.S. Mets national team player of all time? Ooh. Let's go with another ginger, uh, John O'Brien. All right. Mm. You guys see a theme here. (laughs) Oh, two World Cup. Oh, yeah. Hey, love to to my gingers, man. Facts. And then uh, last question. We got a a public Spotify playlist, and we're having all the guests throw on a song. Um, I won't go down the list, but it can be anything, anything from – uh, pre-game, it could be when you're driving home from practice, it could be when you're in the house with the fam, it could be a cookout, whatever, you know, whatever you're feeling. I, uh, oh man. Uh, well diversified, well diversified. Uh, uh, playlist, good. I okay, I mean, I have to have, uh, I'm just for, just for Just for context, uh, Dax, you got Tim Weah has Mob Deep, I picked uh, Biggie Dead Wrong, Mark has Jogo Benito, the Mice Canada song, you know, the old airport commercial song, oh, and, Jay yeah, yeah, yeah. De- and Jay Demerit has Blink-182, What's My Age Again? <laughs> oh, uh, so there's our range. <laughs> we, we are on a wild ride uh, so far. Okay, well, I'll, uh, I, uh, I love this question, but I- I'm going to go with uh, my theme song. In uh, in Nashville, SC, it's the song they play when I score goals, and it's it's got a lot of different meanings for me. Uh, and one of them, it just it gets me amped up, you know, because because uh, I go I like to go into the danger zone a lot. So uh, my my song is uh, "Highway to the Danger Zone" by Kenny Loggins. Oh, hey, listen, fun fact on this: uh, Dax's dad uh, was a a Top Gun pilot. Really? Thank you, Heath. I'm really glad you mentioned that because that's another big reason why I love that song. Really? Yeah, yeah like right. that's actually a, a a fun fact. The other part is like Dax scores like once a year, so like yeah, so not I, really I, like you know like it's not really dialing in and anything like twice listen, a year you get listen, to experience it's, it's it. More, you know? it's more for me to say like when I put that song on, it's like oh my opponent, they're about to enter the danger zone. Yeah, you know? I like that. I like that. Yeah, hey Mark, if you're ever bored in Gank uh, over there in Belgium and and you want to watch a great movie, throw on Top Gun. All right, Maverick, okay. and just when you see Maverick, just think. Dax's dad, Dart McCarty. Like, that's who that character is based off of. Say no more. Say no more. I might throw that on the night. I have nothing to do at all. So, Done, bro. Uh, Top Gun. <laughs> classic. Say no more. I went to the danger zone, baby. That's right. Now you're going to start listening to it before games, bro. It's going to get you amped. Watch. Seriously. I'm going to throw on this playlist. <laughs> like, Blink-182. Highway to the danger zone. Let's yeah. go. I'm ready. <laughs> Mark's going to be sitting in his locker with aviators on. Just, uh, <laughs> you know. Don't worry about me. Uh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> Cool. Dax. Well, that's it, Dax. We appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, this was a, a a long and super fun episode to talk about all these things, and and uh, we appreciate you you uh, joining us. For real, Mark. Best of luck over there, dude. Seriously, yeah. I uh, I hope you. you make us proud. No, absolutely, absolutely appreciate you dropping some knowledge in here, man. I'm definitely gonna take it. Hey, anytime, bro. Get my number from Heath, man. I'll be uh, I'll be the uh, I'll be the psych if you need one. I don't yeah, want you getting any advice from Heath. Yeah, yeah, it's questionable to say the least. Facts. Yeah, but he can he can come through every now and again. I give him some credit. <laughs> uh yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe every little now bit. and he, every now I won't give him too much. He dropped get, he dropped get... some knowledge on me, but that was back when he was kind of young. Yeah, yeah. more often reckless. than not, more than more of the things I say now are like, here's some things you shouldn't do. You know, like 
I don't know what you should do, but like I've tried this and it didn't work. So don't do that. It's facts, bro. It's facts. All right, Dex. Thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to you guys later. Later, man. Good preseason. Thanks. So that's it, man. Great, great episode. Another great episode. Dax is a great, uh, great guest. And you're just a great host, man. I got to say, good game to you again. No, appreciate it, man. Hey, good play. Hey, good play. Good play. Well played. Good play. Whatever you want to say. Well played. Handshakes, fist bumps, elbows, knee locks, whatever you do nowadays. But but again, another another great, not only footballer, but but great guy. You know, the guy, he's he's the kind of guy you see, you know, walking down the street. You know, and he may not look like he's smiling, but he's smiling. He's smiling on the he inside. May not, he may not look like an athlete either. If you saw him walking <laughs> down the street, you'd be like, just this like ginger fellow walking down the street, not knowing that he's like on 17 years or 16 years or whatever of a professional career. You'd be like, don't lie, man. Don't nah, lie. Hey, man, what, what team do you, nah, what team do you play for, for real? Like, nah, seriously. Yeah, like, show on, me no, seriously. <laughs> I, what's your real name? I can't find you anywhere on the internet. No, but he's, but he, he is the kind of guy that like, is is the exact type of person with his wisdom and knowledge that you're like he's got to stay somewhere in the game when he's done right you're like oh, whether it's media whether it's coaching or whatever you just want that type of perspective and knowledge uh kept in the game especially in the u.s landscape where we don't have enough good coaches we don't have enough good people around the game helping to push the game forward in the right way like those that's the kind of guy you go like okay we got to find a place for him somewhere uh within the sport uh and hopefully he has that same desire no 100 percent. this guy has a level of knowledge and, and an iq for the game you know a knack for the game that not many have you know when we talk about it oh he needs to play abroad or he needs to be and now this guy has played you know 17 years for a reason at, the, at one of the highest levels so yeah he's uh he's a guy that we definitely need in in, in some sort of uh set up you know in terms of, of creating an environment for the youth to grow in so so whatever that is uh, or even you know on, on on media you know in the media uh, broadcast whatever it is you know, he's, he's that he's that guy yeah so that's it that's another episode and and for all of you out there listening we appreciate the support uh each and every week uh we promise to deliver you guys weekly we obviously missed a couple weeks uh of output but we're going to be back for uh, week after week after week for the for the foreseeable future. So we appreciate your guys' patience. And uh, yeah, uh, continue to share this with your people, with your friends, with your family. Uh, and leave us a review because it helps us to get found. We are growing and we're enjoying this. So as long as you guys are enjoying it, we're going to keep on making it. And uh, Mark and I will see you guys next time. Peace.